Welcome to One and Done TV. I am one of your co-hosts, Ian Hamilton. And I am strictly his colleague, John Polking. This is the podcast where two strangers talk about <laughs> TV shows that were canceled after one season or during one se- their first season or, you know, in the middle of it or stuff like that. You know, you've listened to episodes before. No one is listening to Kevin at work Kevin from work episode because they are really interested in it. Like y'all are the hardcore fans. And I know that. Isn't that right, John? Yeah. Thank you to the three people listening to us talk about Kevin from work. We have uh, made our trip into the office to dance on the graves of these shows to understand what they did, what they left behind, ultimately what made them one and done today. We are, Taking it over to ABC Family to talk about Kevin from work. Uh, before we do that, let's talk a little bit about what we have been watching on our own. Ian, what has been on your radar? Have I talked about my bathtub shows on here before? I did not know that was a genre, so no. Uh, oh, awesome. Well, you know, I have okay, a lot wait, of wait, 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 issues wait, wait, with my wait, back. Wait, wait, wait. You gave me crap for watching things in the shower. I know it's Whoa. a little different, but it's the same general area. So no, no, I don't no. know. This is very different. Okay. Ugh. I have my laptop on the toilet and I watch TV on the laptop while I soak and relax in the bath, John. Yeah. Because of my many injuries, I take many baths. Okay. That's fine. I'm just saying you shouldn't have been so quick to judge me for watching that things is in the shower. so different than having running water going. Running water is relaxing. your phone outside. Running that, water is relaxing. You could ruin your phone so easily. Mine's like some catastrophe, some plumbing catastrophe would have to happen in order for my laptop to launch itself off of the toilet and into the bathtub. Stranger things have happened. But go ahead. <laughs> tell me tell me more about your relaxing time. Uh, so I usually I watch like Only Murders in the Building. That's one of my bathtub shows. Um, Hard Knocks on HBO. That's mm-hmm. one of my bathtub shows. And right now I'm finally watching The Bear. And oh. that is my totally not relaxing bath time show right now. <laughs> it seems like I've heard it's a very, very tense thing. Do you like get out of the bathtub with your back hurting more than you did entering it? No, but I don't, I'm going to watch the whole thing, but I'm not going to like it because it is a good show, but this one character is so, just stresses everyone out so much more than anything needs to be stressed, stressful. He just makes it so much more stressful than it needs to be. And like, I hate those people and you definitely hate those people. I don't think you could watch it. I do not think you could watch it. You don't? Well, now no, I, need I, don't. To, I need to do it just to spite you now. I need you to watch at least two episodes and get back to me. Okay. Yeah. 
it is on my list. I, I'm quite excited to get into it. It's just other things have surpassed it. Well, so far, Oliver Platt's in one episode, so if that's not a big enough reason to watch it, then I don't know what is. I do love Huff. I do love Huff. Is that one and done? No, I think it was two. John, what are you watching? I recently saw The Woman King. Have you heard of it? Oh, yeah, Viola Davis. Yeah, uh, directed by Gina Prince uh, Bythewood, who did Love and Basketball, Beyond the Lights, uh, The Old Guard. That movie is like old school epic awesome. Like I I really dug it. It's the cool. action is really smooth and cool. Uh it slowed down a little bit in like the second act of the movie, but it was all just like set up for a really like gripping last 45 minutes. I really really dug it. Yeah. Just like it's been a while since I've seen just like huge set pieces and just lots of extras just like going at each other and it didn't feel CGI'd at all and it was somehow PG-13 even though it was soup stoops brutes and I really yeah it was a really exciting movie and I highly highly recommend it was there any swamp thing type ripping people apart involved or Nah, just how, a lot how of like, violent are we talking? We're talking like throat slits and then cut away sort of thing. Is there blood splatter? No, because it's PG-13. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. I mean, I'm really glad to hear you like it because the optics of that movie have been, you know, under attack by people online. Uh, it's been criticized for by the pro slavery people like i don't i don't see how no, controversial uh, okay it could be. i'm just this is all tangential stuff i've heard it's like well i believe it's written by two white women oh yeah uh and then the ethnic group that is the main focus i guess used to sell people to white people to become slaves into but, slavery but that's so, the whole point of the movie is that you know, it's a nation that's trying to rebuild itself on not selling people. Like it's it's the whole thing takes place at this sort of pivotal moment where this uh, this African nation uh, in the early 19th century is trying to sustain itself while not being beholden to the European slave trade, and so it made for some really compelling. Uh, conflict that wasn't just slavery's bad because yes, but it took it a, a lot of steps further and also it took on top slavery's of the, bad to a whole new level. Yeah, it really no, and again to still just make it like exciting and not preachy and character focused. And Viola Davis just kicks ass. She's so good in it. I really loved it. I'm glad it's not preachy like, you know, for the anti-slavery crowd can enjoy it. And so can the pro-slavery crowd, right? Like, it's not preachy at all. Uh, I'm totally kidding. And uh, I'm happy to hear that you like the movie. And uh, anything Viola's doing, I can get on board with. So uh, I do. Is it still in theaters? Uh, it came out in September. So like I saw it probably right not. As, yeah, probably not. But but it probably it sounds like it'd be a good movie to see in a theater. It is. Yeah. But I mean, turn the lights down. 
pop the popcorn, and, you know, just make it showtime. Five, four, three, two, one, showtime! In 2015, Kevin, you know, the one from work, confessed his love for his coworker Audrey. It was a year of rejection for our hero Kevin, though, as not only did Audrey shoot him down, but Kevin, from work, was itself canceled after one season. Ian, this is our first time tackling a freeform show. Uh, I remember it as Fox Family and then ABC Family. It's an interesting network, I feel like, that we that has a rich history of canceling garbage. I'm not saying that Kevin from work is garbage. I'm just saying that like, as I was looking through what qualified as an ABC family show or a freeform show, we got some, we got some real interesting ones. The only thing I can remember really is uh, the one about the frat. Oh my God. Yeah. Greek. Greek. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't that on there? It was pretty little liars was also on there, like it did uh, have some pretty long standing, like younger millennial, I think, uh, staples to it. No, wait, Pretty Little Liars was on there? Yeah. That show always comes up, and I've never really known what it is. It's just people want to say Big Little Lies, but instead they say Pretty Little Liars. And this literally came up last night at Pub Trivia. That's hilarious. Um, I just remember I was uh, talking to my friend Dana and she had just come back from maternity leave. I was just like, hey, how was your maternity leave? She's like, great. I watched all of Pretty Little Liars. <laughs> so that um, was, that's what I associate Freeform with. And then I associate that channel with back when it was Fox Family, I believe. They had a Donkey Kong Country animated show <laughs> That I watched on vacation in Colorado when I was like seven. And I, I was so excited because it was like that 3D animation, that early 2000s stuff. Like, like uh, not Animorphs, uh, the Transformers were their animals instead of cars. Sure. It was like that. Yeah, it does. As a network, to me, it is very much associated with like hotel room cable. But it has like built itself as this uh, sort of melodramatic, uh, you know, younger skewing cable network, which, I mean, we could get into as we talk about why the show was canceled, but... Not quite Lifetime, not quite the CW. No, it it's freeform. It just does what it wants, man. <laughs> and from it, we got uh, Kevin from Work, this uh, 2015 sitcom. Ian, did you have any familiarity with the show vaguely i mean one of the directors and producers is this guy named mick g who's worked on like terminator movies and stuff yeah he also did charlie's angels right uh both of them are just full throttle I, I, definitely the first one he might have also okay. done full throttle yeah i just saw that at, i think it was the pilot and i was like mick g what is going on <laughs> the show is about as like close to, I feel like, a traditional sitcom as we've had on this show in a while. It was created by Barbara Adler, who was 
This is her only created by credit, but she seemed to work a lot in a few other writers' rooms. Uh, she worked on How I Met Your Mother, My Name is Earl, Arrested Development for a couple seasons, and fun fact, Ian, she has a writing credit on Bob Patterson. Oh my God. So she must have been the only woman in that writer's room. Yeah, it must have been on accident. Maybe she was just wearing a sweater that day and they didn't realize they were hiring someone who was a female and under the age of 70. <laughs> who didn't work for the Smothers Brothers. Actually, that's too, that's too high quality, Smothers Brothers. It's something, some variety show that's lost to the ages. Kevin from work is generally a, a like workplace slash relationship sitcom. And I think the best way to get into the show is with some highlights. 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 The titular Kevin is played by Noah Reed, who is a Canadian actor, didn't really do much before this, but two years after Kevin from work went on to star in Schitt's Creek. He was uh, Patrick, uh, David's boyfriend turned husband by the end of the show. Spoilers. Ian, did you, you watch Schitt's Creek, right? I watched the first three seasons like a lot. Um, and then I never really watched the second half of it. It, it. For some reason, I just never got back around to it. And I know I will. When it was really popular, I was just like, why have I not watched beyond season three yet? I still don't know because Natalie was watching the first season the other day. And I was like, I love everything about this. I love the Levies, love Catherine O'Hara, uh, love um, Annie Murphy. No, 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 no. Because uh, I love Elliot. Annie Murphy. Oh, okay. Well, yes, Annie Murphy too. But it was just like, there's so much stuff that I love about it. And yet for some reason, I just, I never saw it through, but I want to. I just made the connection that, Noah Reed was in Kevin from Work, and then Annie Murphy's first job after Schitt's Creek was Kevin Can F Himself. That's fine. Wow. Uh, no Kevin Can Wait? I don't think any of them did Kevin Can Wait, and I don't think anyone watched Kevin Can Wait. How do you feel about uh, Noah Reed as like a screen presence? How would you describe him? Well, this character is kind of a classic, uh, jittery, nervous, lovelorn white boy uh, with the energy of someone in a farce who is constantly under the strain of other people putting stuff on him. So it's a lot of, up, uh, uh, or it's not stuttery, but it's like he's always tense, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he can never relax because all these wacky people in his life uh, just keep making things more complicated for him. Yeah, he is uh, the definition of the schlamazel, I believe. The one that is being put upon by everyone else. By, by the schlamiels. By the schlamiels. There's plenty of schlamiels in uh, Kevin from work. But in all senses, he's kind of this prototypical, quote-unquote, nice guy with a typical unrequited crush on his coworker Audrey, who... In my eyes, it's just kind of a, a typical nice girl. You know, she has the girl next door vibes, uh, is able to joke with him, leaves nice little post-its of smiley faces on Kevin's cubicle as uh, they sort of have this 
long-standing friendship. Yeah, I mean, they show in the very first episode why he's in love with her. Uh, and I think they did a good job of, you know, getting that point across of why he's so infatuated with her, uh, despite her actual personality as being just like, like, she's nice. She's yeah. nice and she's pretty. And other than that, she's just kind of normal. Um, I think the writers gave her some good jokes. Oh, yeah. But compared to all the other characters in the show, she's pretty vanilla. Actually, they both are. They are. to everyone else. Yeah. And I mean, well, to be fair, like on an energy level, like they are a two while everyone else is on like a 50. The energy dynamics of the show are very interesting. But the sort of thrust of the show is definitely the two of their relationship. Kevin... At the beginning of the show, he has this job offer to move from Los Angeles, where he's currently living, to Italy. So he's like, he gets drunk one night. He's like, you know what? I'm going to tell Audrey how I feel. And I did like this, that he was too drunk uh, to text or write an email. And so he wrote a physical letter and sent it to her in the mail. But when the job is rescinded, uh, from him because they don't need, I believe it's a truffle and sea salt manager at this Italian like foodery. They, uh, he needs to return to his job and deal with the repercussions of this, this letter. It's well, it's a safe time for him to tell her his feelings because he's just quit his job. He, they had a going away party. And so he kind of feels like he's putting it out there and he's never going to see her again. But then, of course, he doesn't get the job, and he has to go back to his old job, but he remembers that letter's in the mail. So how's he going to get that letter back, John? He's By gonna... sleeping with her roommate. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of we'll say that hijinks ensue, but it's all to return this uh, letter, which we hear at the end of the pilot, and I want to I read it just to kind of set it up, like what's being thrown out there. He says, Dear Audrey, I know you don't think about me in a special way or at all, but I think about you all the time. You're perfect and beautiful and smart and perfect. And one more thing, I'm in love with you. Madly, completely consumes my life in love with you. So have a great life, Audrey. And maybe in the next one, I won't be scared to say how I feel and do what I want. And I want you. And this time, I'd be the guy that who gets you. Till then, Kevin from work. Audrey has a boyfriend, too. I guess we should say that. <laughs> <laughs> a serious boyfriend. A serious boyfriend that she's had from college. I, it, When we actually heard what the letter said, it wasn't as creepy, I'll be honest, as what I thought it could have been. But he gets, I guess, plenty into the creepy behavior later on in the show. Well, I wasn't sure why he was slow dancing with her at his going away party to begin with because her boyfriend was there in the first place. There's a lot of behavior, I think, that is is difficult to explain and exists in that good old place that we love called sitcom world. And I think before we get into that, the rest of that sitcom world, we could take a quick commercial break. And now a word from our sponsors. 
Hi, this is Ian, and I'm trying to do this commercial as quickly as possible. Please review and rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Hive Social at One and Done TV. Email us oneanddonepod at gmail.com with any suggestions or thoughts. If you haven't hit the skip forward 15 seconds button yet, I will be amazed. Okay, enjoy the show. Kevin from work is like half office workplace comedy, half relationship, best friends, like, wow, like button heads kind of uh, comedy. I'm living with my self-proclaimed slutty sister comedy. Yes, exactly. So I think the best way to talk through some of the highlights is to split it up between work and home. Get that work-life balance, you know. So Kevin and Audrey work at a place called Superior Food and Beverages. Ian, could you understand what Superior Food and Beverages did? Because I was having issues. At one point, he gets his sister out of being arrested by bartering with a cop to say that he can change the snacks that he gets in their break room to snacks that he would prefer. So I think there's some kind of healthy office snack supply place like uh any temp job i've had in an office where they're like oh and in the break room we just have uh drawers full of chips and uh nut mixes and stuff (laughs) and uh, kombucha on tap i really miss but oh man um you know so it's just one of those things i think yeah but i don't think it's necessarily healthy stuff because they were also at times uh, sampling energy drinks and puddings, you know, nothing good happens after a pudding cup. Nothing. Well, they got really specific with what they do when there was the very specific sales report that they had to get through uh, while their boss was gone. They were supplying food to prisons, I think, or was it schools? Or maybe I don't it was know. school prisons. But they just kept saying the sales report, the sales report. We're four or five episodes in. I really don't know what this company does. No, it wasn't fully clear. And we didn't really get much of a sense of the rest of the employees at the company, except for uh, their guy on the other side of their cubicle, Ricky. Ricky, again, I'm not really sure what Ricky did, but he was the office gossip. He uh, has sort of a love-hate relationship with the main duo. Sometimes he gives them information or sneaks them stuff or helps them out in some way, but also other times, and actually often, he sabotages them in big ways. Like there's an episode where the two of them discover that there is a secret bathroom that nobody else in the office knows about. And Ricky finds out about it. Audrey tells him. And Ricky decides to make it a money-making opportunity and is selling bathroom passes to the rest of their co-workers. Yeah, Ricky is sassy and self-serving, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and also just a, just a delight. Uh, <laughs> he, you know, he, him and uh, their boss, Julia, who's played by Amy Sedaris... Which is the reason I think I watched a couple episodes of this show when it originally aired, because I will fall over any hot coals to watch anything that Amy Sedaris does. Oh, agreed. And 
This show is full of a lot of over-the-top performances other than the main duo, and she fit in perfectly. She was a great highlight. Um, part of me thought that she was like maybe busy doing another show or oh, a movie I definitely at the time. That. Yeah, because she dips in and out of the show at her leisure. Yeah, it's like two episodes. She's a part of it, then she's gone for two episodes and she's back and they bake that into her character too as somebody that's completely unreliable and self-serving and just fully in love with her cat but also isn't afraid to hook up with as many people in the office and abuse her power as much as possible as she can yeah she's uh often out of control and somewhat offensive one of my favorite bits with her was that she's drinking wine in her office and then Audrey comes in and she goes to hide the wine. And then she's like, oh, well, you already saw me doing it, so I'm not going to hide it anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> and it's a breakfast wine, so that's okay. That's right. So, yeah, they kind of set the tone for the wackiness of the office. Yeah. There were some really fun sort of things that they set up like in the first two minutes of the show about playing into these kind of office tropes. Like, I think my favorite was the running joke of how small the break room was. Like, this break room is about maybe, like, five feet by five feet. And they always, anytime there's a scene in the break room, there's about 20 people jammed Just into this tiny space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, was a, that was a fun visual gag. And the other joke is that they only have one bathroom in order to call themselves eco-friendly. Yeah. So everyone's always waiting in the bathroom. It was a good time. Lots of lots of fun hijinks at uh, the office, but even more wacky stuff uh, happening outside of work, too, wouldn't you say, Ian? I would, and I would start with his uh, previously stated self-proclaimed slutty sister, Roxy, who is younger than Kevin, uh, completely immature, doesn't know how to even go to the bank and cash a paycheck. Uh, let alone work for one. That was a fun bit where she was, uh, he was telling her, he was showed her how to take like a picture of her check and upload it. And she, because she is so kind of self-obsessed, she was constantly trying to put her face in the picture as she was taking it because every picture has to be a selfie. We're introduced to her by, um, they're in the car together and she goes, don't call me Roxy. It sounds so slutty. Call me Roxanne. And she goes, hey, wait, I'm going to flash this guy next to me. Hey, can you tell your kids to cover their eyes? Yeah. (laughs) And Roxy has just moved to Los Angeles, so she goes to move in with Kevin. But because Kevin is supposed to be leaving, she ends up taking over Kevin's room in the apartment, and he has to sleep in the living room because he doesn't know how to stand up to his kid sister. Yeah, and he sleeps in a child's bed for the first half of the season, and that was somewhat confusing to me. I I got that there was a joke, but I missed the why. Yeah, it was just like it was the first one he could get, I think. I don't know. A similarly self-obsessed character who becomes one of Roxy's really good friends is Audrey's roommate, Patty. Her dad's a lawyer. We hear this many times. Uh, She doesn't work at all, though. And Roxy and Patty both walk through the world as if there is literally nobody else in it. They are bulldozer personalities. 
Yes, which is why eventually they become really good friends. Um, our introduction to Patty is the aforementioned Audrey's roommate who Kevin sleeps with in order to try to get the love letter back. And then she's just like a big, brash personality. Uh, she's always like, why did you say that to me? And then she's like, let's do this. And oh my God, let's get wasted. And her and Roxy are both kind of like that. I'd say Roxy is more vapid. Patty is more ditzy. <laughs> oh, I like that distinction. That's a that's a good one. Because honestly, I was having... they. For me, they very much like worked on the same level. They served a very similar purpose. But I, the vapid and ditzy, it's a very nuanced <laughs> distinction, but I think it's a, a very line. appropriate one. Yeah. I just wanted to say they had distinct personalities somehow. Uh, and that was the way. And then we have Brian, who is Kevin's best friend. He's a personal trainer, um, kind of a fixer-upper guy. And eventually he starts hanging out with Roxy a lot. And a lot of his story, the second half of the season is that he has a crush on Roxy. And for a little while, he doesn't even know it, but we know. We know. We We know. We see the hearts in his eyes go a thumpa thumpa. Now, John, I'm going to challenge you with a bit of trivia. How do Kevin and Brian know each other? Do they say it? I know they're friends, but I would. Okay. Let me, let me guess. They met at a Jamba Juice and they both ordered the same drink. And Kevin was such a milk toast customer that he gave Brian his drink. No? That is a very good guess. Dang. But the answer is you were right the first time. They never explained how they met. <laughs> uh, they were just best friends because we were told that they were best friends. And Brian uh, was like ride or die with Kevin. Like Brian says at one point, I just figured that LA was the first chapter of our friendship because he was fully planning on moving to Italy to be with Kevin. Yeah. And uh, Kevin, although being Brian's friend, does not seem to share that gung ho-ness. Uh, it, it seems a little one-sided, this friendship for the the first half of the season, at least. Um, not that Kevin doesn't like him, but it's just, I don't know why Brian likes him so much. Yeah, it's tough. Brian's just very loyal. He's a bit of a big character, but he also is the one that gets, he gets pushed around by Roxy. He gets pushed around by Patty. He gets pushed around by Ricky as well. Like he's still, he's a, he has that sort of tough guy exterior, but it's a little bit of a softie. He's very much a softie. I mean, he helps out Patty's eventual boyfriend to he like goes way out of his way to fix the sink in their bathroom or something. Like he it's too complicated, so he has to call a friend who has mm-hmm. to call two friends and they all just like hang out fixing the bathroom and we're like who are these people? I mean, it was a funny joke, but that's it felt like there were some episodes where they had to give Brian something to do. But he's not the only uh, fitness junkie in the show. We also have Brock, who is Audrey's long-term boyfriend from college. His personality, uh, okay, I think it's just that his personality is jujitsu. I can't think of a better way to describe it. 
jujitsu and being a somewhat neglectful boyfriend, just kind of a meathead guy that doesn't listen, but he doesn't do anything that bad. No, he doesn't. He just is very focused on jujitsu and all the layers of competition. Like in the pilot, he just kicked ass at the quarter regional finals of the semis. And they keep building on that joke and saying, oh, yeah, he beat my boyfriend at the regional quarter semifinals at the regional regionals. Oh, one more thing about Audrey before we move on, too, is did you realize the actress before this? She just has one credit in a short. Like, I assume she must do theater or something like that, but um, she has a pretty quick ascension into being star of a sitcom or, you know, probably second main character. Yeah. No, I thought she did a great job with what she was given. I mean, she wasn't really, she was the likable love symbol of the show. And also was the fixation of many of the show's uh, fantasy sequences as well. Like the Casablanca one? The Casablanca one. She also is seen often with like cartoon birds sort of fluttering around her. That's right. Um, there's also times of Kevin imagining himself riding in on a horse to to save her. Oh, yeah. Wow. I did not realize how many fantasy sequences there were, but you're totally right. I think it's because when we have... A show like Scrubs, for example, where the fantasy sequences are there to tell a joke, add a different perspective, maybe even sometimes move the story forward. There wasn't a lot of setup for the fantasy sequences. They were just kind of, except for the Casablanca thing, because Kevin was basically like recovering from a head injury and had just been told by his sister that there was a remake of Casablanca that was coming out that she was reading for. So there was a little bit of sort of setup for that, but otherwise they were just kind of like thrown in. And I wonder how much like more integral they were to potentially like earlier versions of the show. I think Scrubs is a good comparison because in Scrubs, like those fantasies are kind of integral to JD's personality. Mm -hmm. Whereas with this, I felt like they just kind of serviced for, you know, jokes and to show that he's still in love with her, just like the last episode, (laughs) still unrequited. Yeah. But he does still uh, pining. He does manage to have other loves. I mean, well, not loves. I mean, he hooks up with Patty, but he, he does have a girlfriend in one episode who does not really like date him as much as truck him around to a bunch of other like fun things to do around the city. Like they have a a speakeasy crawl and they're drinking wine, eating tacos. Yeah. Selfies galore and all of those activities. I think they're at the beach all of a sudden. There's a lot of, there's a lot of travel that is, that is happening around, uh, around Los Angeles, but he, he can't get over Audrey. That's the classic situation of being into someone and they're not into you back. And they're like, oh, but why don't you date my friend instead? Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like this pops up a decent amount in film and television and also in life, frankly. Has this happened to you? I think so. I think so. (laughs) 
or I've I've had people try. Yes. Oh, okay. Had when I was try. like, "Hey, I'm really into you," and then they're like, "No," and they're like, "Oh my gosh, you would love my friend because because me and you get along so well, you would like my friend a lot." And I'm like, "Oh, so what? I'm gonna date your friend and still like you? That's what is this? What's happening? A lot of love lost, one might say." Uh, well, actually, I disagree. I would say a lot of infatuation lost because love is something that happens between two people. When it's just you, it's infatuation. <laughs> That's fair. And sometimes that infatuation turns to desperation, as it often does in this show. I mean, he throws out all the stops to try to convince Audrey that she's in love with him. None of them seem to work. And every time they seem to start to get closer, she realizes what's happening and she pushes back. Yeah. And she does have troubles with Brock. Like, you know, he, like I said, his personality is just basic meathead. Like his idea of a date night is her watching as he gets drunk with his friends and counts how many shots they both have taken. At one point, Audrey lives with him. At one point, Audrey, they have that little bathroom thing together at one point, they have a project they're working on together. Audrey and Kevin, that is, not yes. Audrey and Brock. Yeah. And, you know, they just keep finding these ways to be together, and he just can't let go. No. Um, and he keeps, yeah, at one point, he does just flat out say, you're in love with me, and she's like, no, I'm not. And then he kind of saves her from being hit by a car and then they embrace. He Well, he was like, no, the world is going to keep finding ways to bring us together no matter what happens. She's like, no, it won't. And then she walks into the street and he and she gets fl- flung into his arms. And then credits. Yeah. <gasps> it's a very madcap-y kind of show and one that I think we should bestow with some Dunzo Awards right after this commercial break. And now, a word from our sponsors. It's time for the Dunzo Awards. These are the superlatives that we give out to all of the shows that we watch. It could be the best, it could be the worst, it could be the weirdest, it could be a Dundee Award if we were doing The Office, but instead we're doing Kevin from work. Each of these shows get two Dunzo Awards from each of us. Ian Hamilton, what is your first Dunzo Award? I give the Oh My Gosh Award to Roxy and Patty's Friendship, which... Oh my gosh. I I very much enjoyed (laughs) uh, their friendship. They're just, like, irresponsible together. They're... uh, I think at one point when they first start being friends, she's like, how do you feel about day drinking? She's like, I don't know. I'm already too. She's like, well, I'm two glasses of wine in and it's the day. And they're like, perfect. And they're just like the perfect type of like chaotic pair between the two of them. I think both the actresses do a really good job of playing those characters that easily could be tired and kind of one note. Um, but they just like they just clicked like i uh i could see 
you know, I would probably watch a show about the two of them or maybe a movie. You know, I sometimes I was like, get Roxy and Patty back together. You know, stop making me watch so much Brian stuff. <laughs> Roxy and Patty are definitely like tornadoes of energy. And I do like a character that doesn't give a hoot what anyone has to say about them or what is happening around them. There is there's something kind of fun about seeing how somebody just like walks through the world without noticing anyone else. And when they actually do connect, it does, it does elevate, I think both of their bullheadedness in a way. Yeah. I mean, they're very goofy and when they're together, they amplify each other. Um, And I would say the two of them, Amy Sedaris's character and Ricky you know, they're all very big presences and the show is very goofy. Oh, and yeah. I think the goofiness works best in their hands. If you give it to the two leads and Brian, like it's fine, but it it feels like writing to me. It doesn't feel like individual characters sometimes. You didn't think that some of the Roxy and Patty stuff was just writing? I felt like they had individual personalities, at least, where okay. that that the jokes fit. Okay. As opposed to the two main characters and maybe Brian a bit. Yeah. I just felt like Roxy and Patty, we were just sort of dialogue machines a lot of the time, which I didn't mind. Totally. But I, I know that you typically don't like a sort of overridden character that doesn't sound like anything that anyone would say. So I'm just surprised to hear the distinction from you. Well, there's not like, like in some shows like um, Gilmore Girls, like we've talked about, which is, is just a good example that I always go back to. Everybody talks with the same rhythm and that bothers me. Same with Studio 60. So I can... When there's a lot of writing and everybody is directed to talk with the same rhythm, it takes away from the characters, which makes me not believe it and resent the writer. John, what's your first Dunzo? My first Dunzo goes to, it's the Willard we ever see him again. And that's the Fred Willard, uh, the one that goes to Fred Willard. (laughs) Fred Willard shows up in the show for two scenes in one episode, and he does almost nothing. And it was one of the most kind of surprising uses of a very talented human being to do, to contribute basically nothing to the story or the scene ever. My guess is they really wanted him, but he could only film for one day. I, I think that must have been it. So they're like, okay, he's going to be have two lines in the party scene. And then we're going to really quickly get him to a room, put him in a robe, and we're going to do the robe scene with him. And that's that's all we can do in 12 hours. And I really liked that sort of part of the story because he is this co-star on this show that Roxy somehow gets a part on. She's like, oh, yeah, I could be an actress. And then literally the first audition that she does, she has a four-episode arc on this show that uh, has been on for like 26 seasons or whatever it is. And he's yeah, like, it's like a it. joke that it's like law and order SVU. 
Yeah. But it's like it's like uh special crime Annapolis yeah. edition or something. And she's like in the Navy, but it's an SVU show. And she's also like dressed kind of sexy. So it's it's a joke. It's a joke. It's a joke on a joke. And so you'd think that Fred Willard would be uh, a bigger part of it. But no, nah, he, he comes in, dons a robe, says bye to Roxy, and then we never see him again. Yeah. It was... It- it was an interesting choice to say the least. Ian, what about you? What's your second Dunzo Award? My second Dunzo Award is the classic pilot award, oh. which goes to the pilot. And it's just like a classic pilot where they just like, they just, they run into scenes. They're like, hey, you're my friend. This is our relationship. Quick joke, quick joke. Boom, next scene hey, let's lay some pipe for the story. Quick joke. This is our relationship. Next scene, next scene. Uh, Oh my gosh, my plans fell through. Now I have these problems I have to solve. Uh, Everybody introduces themselves in outrageous ways. Mm -hmm. Um, It was just very piloty to me. And I thought I wouldn't like uh, Roxy because of the way she was introduced. But I actually did end up liking that character uh, a lot more than the pilot sort of did. But yeah. I, I don't know. What did you feel about the pilot? Did it just feel like classic pilot to you? Like For me, the pilot, like the first five minutes of the pilot are so high energy and so jam-packed with like jokes and relationship building that it did sort of like catapult me into this world, which I, I like that a little bit more than... I like the high energyness of it. I thought the editing was crisp. I thought the all the jokes about the office and it it was weird and it felt a bit chaotic, but it also kind of worked for to set up the tone of the show, I thought. And yeah, not all of it worked and I think it actually weirdly sort of slowed down when it ramped up the zaniness of Kevin trying to get this letter that he had mailed back just because that felt so tired. Yeah, you knew exactly what was going to happen. No, because then you wouldn't have a show. It's it's that idea, too, of... I think I've discussed it on previous episodes of the show where we talked about other shows. Uh, the idea of chump stakes. The stakes of... Like, Kevin needs to not get the letter back because then we wouldn't have a show. And so you know that Kevin's not going to get the letter back. So why are we seeing him go through the effort? Like the jokes don't land as much because we know what the outcome needs to be because like you said, it is a basic pilot that needs to set up a dynamic that's going to last throughout the rest of the season. And yeah, it's tough to sort of get invested in the joke side of that when you know how the joke is going to quote unquote pay off. Yeah, I mean, and they did a good job with, like, there were some visual gags. I mean, they, well, the introduction of Patty I thought was pretty good. Uh, She had really rough sex with him, and when he's walking out of Audrey's apartment in his boxers, for whatever reason I can't remember now, he turns around and there's all these scratch marks on his back. Yeah. You know, like, they they did a good job with some of the, uh, some of the dressing, you know? Yeah. I agree with that, but that was after the sort of 
like, again, the zaniness of him not getting the letter back had been resolved. And so you could kind of breathe and then you see like a joke like that and you're like, oh, that's, that's funny. Yeah. I like, I like how it was, it worked best when that sort of stuff was peppered in as opposed to being the sort of driving force of a scene. I thought. Oh yeah. I mean, there are chump steaks littered all over (laughs) the rest of the season, especially anything Brian was doing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was like, they were just trying to, shoehorn him into whatever they could think of. Yeah. I like that Brian was this sort of fixer upper. Like he puts Kevin's new sofa bed together and he fixes Patty's boyfriend devs like wall after this earthquake. But that's just the only reason, or he's also there when Kevin gets a head injury and he feels sort of out of place when a, when a stay at home nurse comes to take care of Kevin, cause he feels like he should be the one taking care of Kevin. But again, it's like, should he be there in the first place? What's their relationship? I don't really know. Exactly. Uh, what's your second Dunzo? My second Dunzo goes to the worst escape room ever. <laughs> and that will go to, so I think it's episode nine where the the whole thing is that Audrey invites Patty to go out with her and Brock, but Audrey feels like third wheeled by Patty and Brock's relationship because they're both so like in sync with each other. Like they're listing off Tom Cruise movies at this pub trivia and Audrey can't get a word in edgewise. And so because of this pub trivia win, she gets a ticket she gets two free tickets to go to this escape room and doesn't tell patty about it because she wants to still have some fun because patty sucks all the air out of the room essentially and when audrey goes to the escape room with her boyfriend brock patty shows up with ricky as a sort of like fun friend night out coincidentally and so they both get thrust into this escape room together, uh, even though Audrey lied to Patty. Oh my God. Even talking about it, dude, I just needed to set it up because no, I know, I know you did. I'm just like, Oh, it's like, I'm watching it again. This escape room (laughs) is like, you know, filled with all these sort of clue sort of stuff that you would see at an escape room. And most of the episode, they're struggling to find this clue and Patty and Audrey are butting heads And then finally they work together and they figure out what the clue is. And there's only one clue in the escape room and it's on the back of a picture and it's the code to open the door to the escape room. There is one clue. There is not a single escape room that has ever existed that only has one clue. I am not an escape room connoisseur or an expert by any stretch of the imagination, but I know for a freaking fact that there is no escape room that is so easy that all you have to do is literally pull one picture off, read four numbers that are very clearly stated, probably in some sort of scotch tape on the back of this picture of a cat or some crap like that to get out of a room. It infuriated me. There is no escape room like that ever. John, these are sitcom writers for ABC Family, not Agatha Christie, okay? Okay, I get it. We don't need Agatha Christie, but we need some layering if we're going to put people in an escape room. This is like somebody saying, it felt like somebody Googling things to do in LA, saw the words escape room, read no other 
context about what an escape room actually was and put some like they numbers literally on the back should of have just gone to an escape room taken all the clues that were in that one escape room and just put them in the episode it would have made sense exactly they didn't even have to come up with anything they could have just lifted it from some real place you mm-hmm. know instead of having to th- instead <laughs> think of the ha- world's worst clue or, or, you know, puzzle. I was incensed. Uh, the show, yeah. I mean, and, but to be fair, the show does not live in reality in any capacity. And no, nor is it, it is trying its to. Own world, for sure. Yeah. We've got, a, like, the next episode, Patty is told by her dad that she needs to get a job. And so Patty and Ricky go to the mall. Patty uh, is, goes to, like, a makeup like kiosk that's in the mall basically pushes over the makeup artist says, here's how you do makeup. And then by the end of the episode, Patty has a line of people that are waiting to get Patty's makeup, even though Patty doesn't even technically work at this makeup kiosk. No, they did offer her a job after she pushed the person over mm-hmm. and did the lady's makeup. That's like, true. Do you, right. Do you want a job? I was like, are there even positions available? Cause yeah. I don't know if she was the manager. Like, if anything, she's taken your commission away. Like, what are you doing? It seemed it seemed a little far-fetched. It just wasn't believable. It wasn't believable. I want all my entertainment to exist in reality as I know it. Exactly. How, how can you have jokes when they're not grounded in anything? You know what I like? I'm being I sarcastic. Like... I just need to make that clear. <laughs> I like scenes about businesses where they tell us exactly what program they're using, exactly what boxes they're clicking, and the bureaucratic procedures they go through. Give me formulas, give me charts, uh, let's negotiate terms, let's make this comedy make sense. Otherwise, again, what are we even doing here? Laughing at nonsense? Let's sit on hold (laughs) for 10 minutes, you know, playing solitaire. It's like that one episode of uh, Community where they are talking through like horror scenarios and Abed's is perfectly realistic so much so that they're like listening to a emergency broadcast and it's like, well, it wouldn't be on the second we turn on the radio. So they're just listening to music for like 30 <laughs> seconds. That's the kind of comedy I want. Yes, that is realistic. a tough thing for writers when you need them to hear something on the radio or TV, but you're like, uh, we have to get to it, but it's cheesy. Yeah. I did <sighs> enjoy a lot of the sort of, you know, weirdly elevated stuff. Like, I like that Patty's boyfriend later on in the show was both a doctor and a DJ. I just ended up calling him Dr. DJ. Oh, yeah. That was really funny. Yeah. He was a, he was a good uh, late late season addition to the show. Ian, should we get to some burning questions? Because I've got, uh, I've got one really big burning question for you. Ask away. It's a hot one. Woo. Do you feel it? I haven't even said it. It's just emanating off of me. I'm going to have to get some oven mitts for this one. Ian. Well, this isn't the burning question, but it leads into it. Do you agree that there is a difference between a good guy and a nice guy? Yeah. Is Kevin a good guy or a nice guy? Woo, that's hot. Kevin's a nice guy. I would agree with that. Because nice guys 
and I had to learn this the hard way, nice guys can be jerks <laughs> and justify it to themselves because they're nice. Exactly. And not realize what they're doing to other people. They're like, but I'm nice. And it's like, why are you hurting everyone's feelings then? Yeah. Why are you, why are you trying to control people? Because Kevin sees himself as like the hero of his story, and yet he doesn't really do anything to justify what value he adds to a situation. Like, okay, there was one line that uh, Brian had that I wrote down because I think it perfectly encapsulated Kevin. I can't even remember what the setup for it was, but Brian goes, that's the Kevin I know, never giving up hope, never showing signs of progress. (laughs) because he just he doesn't take no for an answer but he always doesn't do anything overtly terrible so therefore he i felt like he was a nice guy but he wasn't a good guy yeah actually i don't even know really what audrey would get out of it because it's not like he's especially romantic or anything it's not like he would improve her life a lot it's just that they get along, so he's in love with her. But it's not like we see him interact with other people and go, wow, Kevin's such a nice guy or a good guy. It's it's just that he's vanilla. Yeah, he's not offensive. And I think that that is a, that's a key distinction. And even like some of the most romantic stuff he does, he doesn't do on his own. Like, let's think about, can we talk about like how the season ends and how the show ends really quick? Yeah. So... Audrey has recently like, and Brock have recently broken up and Kevin's like my shot here. It is like, I'm going to, I'm going to come out. And so he plans this sort of romantic thing at this, um, um, like sort of lookout. That's her favorite spot, you know, brings some blankets because he knows she gets cold, gets her this dress because, she he she's been looking at it and sort of tells her to go out to this uh, lookout. A romantic gesture, sure. How did he find out all that information about that her from his sister? His sister is the one that gathered all the intel. He did not ask her any of that stuff, nor did he retain any of it. So his romantic gesture was thrust upon him by somebody else. Also, how did Brock know she'd be at that bench? They were, he tracked her on like the find my friends thing. Oh. And so Brock, it, yeah, Brock intercepts uh, the uh, romantic gesture and ends up proposing to Audrey. And that's how the show ends. Right. Proposing based off of the advice that Kevin gave him earlier when Audrey broke up with him, with Brock. And uh, I mean, when he gave him that advice, you knew that that's what was happening, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was like, oh, boy, he's going to take this advice and use it to get back with Audrey. I don't Um, know if you know this, but I've seen a TV show or two. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you won't shut up about it. We're all (laughs) over the Internet talking about TV. (laughs) Annoying. Uh, No, I did like the very ending, though, where she thinks it was Brock that set up this romantic gesture, and he pretty much takes all the credit for it. Although it's kind of like he's too dumb to realize that he's even taking the credit for it. it. Yeah. And then she's like, wow, I love this dress. And Brock's like, yeah, it's really great. Where did you get it? 
And then you see this look in her eyes like, wait a minute, you didn't buy me this dress? Mm-hmm. And then the show ends. Um, and I thought it was a good ending. I did too. I did. Mm-hmm. I thought that, because I, I was like, how is this going to keep going? I don't know how you keep this. I was like, 10 episodes is a lot to carry us through all this. Like, I think a typical show would have had the two of them get together at the end of the first season and then for future seasons would see their relationship develop. But the fact that the show did not, I did appreciate as a sort of more surprising turn. Yeah. I mean, the whole wrote her a love letter and she knew how much he loved him at the end of the pilot was a tough place to start. I think Yeah, for a story like this. It's kind of like what we discussed with the I Love Dick episode last week, where, you know, that show was, like I said, in that it was was a show about fixation, like about one character's fixation on another person. This show, I'm glad, didn't fall into that trap, and it expanded out its characters enough and didn't make their sole dynamic about just, like, one person, like, trying to get the other person's attention. They had enough of a relationship before that that even though that was still kind of underpinning the entire show, it wasn't the only thing that those two had together. Uh, Yeah, I agree. They were like, okay, we can't just sit in this storyline forever. Let's give Brian something to do. Anything. (laughs) Anything. We got to throw Brian a bone. We got to find a B story for him. (laughs) Uh, Okay, now he's... uh... And now he's with Roxy. Uh, Oh, he's in love with Roxy. Is there anything special about that love? No, but it'll fill time. But at least we got Brian on camera. Thank God. Exactly. Because we already paid him for the day. (laughs) Um, (laughs) John, I've got a burning question for you. Lay it on me. I'm ready to get hot, hot, hot. Did these sets feel like sets or feel like locations to you? that's hot i know this is a leading burning question but you know what i kind of felt like they felt like locations it did not it did i not I, I, I had a feeling that that was uh that was the direction you were gonna go i don't know i thought the office itself was pretty lived in at least it it kind of had that sort of feeling other than the but there was like never quite enough people in it for me like there were in certain shots like the break room or whatever but in the actual like cubicle area and stuff it always felt a little empty to me i could definitely see that i did think that the the homes were were well decorated wow that's the that's the level i'm going to with analyzing this show the homes were well decorated john i i can tell you they weren't but uh, (laughs) i appreciate that you think they were they weren't they weren't horribly decorated, I would say. There were plants in there, and there was some furniture and a painting or two. <laughs> it was, I don't know, it was like something about the lighting, something I could not put my finger on, made this whole, the, the locations and the sets and everything feel very cheap to me. It was in every single scene, every single place they were. I was like, is it just because they're always lit the same way? Is it because there's not a lot of people around? Is it because the set's like, like it's decorated, but I don't know. It's a little sparse, Mm -hmm. you know, or like I I just, I could never exactly tell. And I was very aware of the fact that I I just, I never felt like they were really anywhere. 
And that was so weird to me. And another thing, actually, did you, in the pilot, it seemed like it was filmed with some sort of almost like an early HD camera or something. Like, Mm. I felt like they were on a green screen sometimes. It was a very weird focus. The pilot looked different and used different visual cues than the rest of the show, for sure. Yeah, especially there were times where, like, where Kevin and Audrey were sort of like spotlit in a way that did make it feel very, which I think was very purposeful, but they didn't carry that motif throughout the rest of the show, which you'd think like the pilot would set up a lot of visual cues and like language that the rest of the show would incorporate, but it really didn't. Mm, I mean, I think it set like the tone for what kind of humor. I think, yeah, let me clarify visually. Yeah, I mean, I think they shot the pilot and then somebody was like, we got to change this, (laughs) you know, or like, we can't afford to do that. We got to do it this way. I I worked on a lot of Lifetime movies, let me tell you. You you blast everybody with light. You make sure everybody's lit. You get sunlight through the windows. Everyone's happy. Everyone's having a good time. Yeah. Just light, light, light. Light it up. Uh, well, let's light up all the reasons that this show is canceled after this commercial break. And now a word from our sponsors. Kevin from work started airing in August of 2015. The 10th and final episode aired on October 7th, the show was canceled in March of the next year, in 2016. Here are some fun things that happened in between there. Kevin from Work was an ABC family show. At the beginning of 2016, that's when it rebranded to Freeform. So there was a little bit of a transition period there. I didn't even know that Freeform was what used to be ABC family. Yeah. Well, because it was it was such a radical transformation. <laughs> Kevin from work was it's like actually a superstation going to Spike TV. Absolutely. Which then became the Paramount Network. Never forget. That's right. Never That's right. forget. It's not just a network for men anymore. This though was the first show to be canceled after the rebranding. Fun fact. Oh, isn't it nice to be first? It's got to be. Like, that's got to make them feel really good about something. The show, though, uh, it was well-reviewed at the time, but the ratings were pretty dismal. It actually started off not bad for a cable show, about 580,000 viewers, uh, which, for basic cable, not too bad. But uh, it lost about 80% of those viewers. Oh, my God. The series... The series uh, dropped, I guess maybe not 80%, but at least 75 The The finale had 120,000 120, viewers. Oh, so, oh my goodness. Yeah, big, big, big drop off. This was part of this attempt for, as ABC Family was losing the family side of their brand and rebranding into Freeform, Kevin from work was part of this attempt to sort of make the 
content a little bit more adult, not like mature adult, but I think a big part of Freeform's strategy was sort of older millennials. There were a lot of scripted comedies, reality shows that were trying to fit into that framework. Uh, they, it seemed like millennial yuppies, millennial yuppies. Exactly. There was a bigger investment to, it seemed like to, uh, more sort of fantastical IP. Like there was, uh, shadow hunters premiered on Freeform, which was a adaptation of a, a young adult series. Uh, there was another show called beyond that was a little bit more sci-fi E. These are shows that premiered like shortly after, Kevin from work did. Um, but it seemed like overall Kevin from work, in addition to being the recipient of low ratings was just kind of ill fitting in this attempted takeover rebranding structure. And it just, for some reason, didn't quite fit within the future strategy of the network as a whole. That's a, it seemed like a pretty reasonable explanation, I'd say. Yeah. I mean, I get like one executive leaving and another one coming in and, and changing what they're doing. Like that's one thing that can sometimes just be about ego, but if you're changing the name of the network, it's, it's a whole rebrand. Um, but then wait, so was Freeform then trying to get younger people slightly older i would say i think they were this feels like it that would fit in though it would but if it wasn't resonating with the viewers that it was trying to get right if if it didn't lose four hundred (laughs) thousand it's five hundred thousand viewers yeah because i mean yes definitely it fit within that brand but it wasn't it wasn't resonating with that target demo that they were trying to get. And so therefore they were like, well, if we're going to be investing in this group, let's invest somewhere else. Let's invest in something else. But it was, I've seen it on a couple of lists of like the best one season wonders of all time. You know, any of those lists that you might Google when uh, you search for one season TV shows like me and you have done many times before. I was going to say, who would bother focusing on that? (laughs) It's a nonsense premise that we have somehow been drowning in for the last 29 episodes. Still, we, it, the show is on Hulu and I think it definitely got a little bit more of a boost of notoriety after Noah Reed joined Schitt's Creek and it was available on streaming it was a show that wasn't really meant for the network that it was on. It could have worked as I, I like, you know what? It really reminded me of what a sort of modern Netflix sitcom looks like. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a proto Netflix sitcom. I agree. Cause there are very, there are very few, honestly, that I can think of, but it's like an old school feel and they're trying to do new school visuals. It feels like, just to piggyback off of your point, it feels like somebody who watched, who grew up watching even Stevens and Lizzie McGuire, and then they tried to adapt that tone for an old, like for that same exact generation of people, but just at a different life stage. 
I would say a little bit of Malcolm in the Middle, too. Yeah. There was some of the, like, the real goofiness reminded me of it, and I wish I had an example at the ready. Well, Ian, is this a kind of goofiness that you think you would renew? I would not renew. I felt like this show was equal parts funny and bad. (laughs) Like, there were plenty of good jokes in it, but after the good joke, it would go right to something that I didn't care about. Did it mostly involve Brian? I wasn't a big fan of Brian, but I also didn't think it was his fault. I uh, I just think he should have been used less. Also, I, the fact that you didn't know why they were even good friends to begin with, like, there didn't feel like a shared history. Um, or even the fact that, like, Kevin and uh, Roxy live together, but we never meet, like, anyone else in their family. That felt a little bit weird to me. Mm-hmm. But there were plenty of lines that I thought were funny. There were plenty of visual gags that I I laughed at. Uh, It was a funny show, but it was also boring and cheesy, and I didn't care for the main characters at all. Uh, I think if you took Ricky, Julia, Roxy, and Patty and gave me a show starring the four of them, I'd probably watch it. What about you, John? Would you renew? I would not renew. I would not. No. And honestly, like the first two episodes, I was like, oh, thank goodness. Like this is the kind of show that I've been hoping for. Something that's like clever and high energy and has some wacky characters, but like is well-written and solid. And then by episode three, I got bored. Like you said, I think it was because I just didn't care about any of them. And I think that because they all, all the characters inhabited this sort of like, I don't care what anyone thinks I'm going to do what I want attitude. It was hard for me to like grasp onto anything. So it was a lot of me recognizing funny jokes without me laughing. And that's what watching the show, it was like, yes, that's a good line, but I, I'm not laughing because I don't really, I'm not really engaged with what these characters are doing. And I think for me, honestly, a big part of it was um, like the Patties and the Roxies and the Rickies. I really couldn't stand Ricky at all. Wow. He was, he was obnoxious and there was nothing to him. I loved Ricky. I I know you, I can tell you loved Ricky. That part where he's standing in the corner listening to like the the whisper like there's a part a place in the office where you can hear people talking from another place in the office yeah there's that security footage of just fast forwarding through him standing there all day i thought that was so funny i thought he was a good physical comedian i thought i liked his caddy sassiness uh i'm a ricky fan for sure maybe if he was the only one of those characters but because you had your patties and your Roxies on top of that. It just felt like a hat on a hat on a hat. To me, you were able to distinguish Patty and Roxy's personalities. I felt like they served the same purpose and therefore just felt like sort of this echo chamber of like 
Sure, I get nonsense. That. And so you had the, but then you're supposed to have like somebody to play off of, somebody that is going to feel right, the a consequences. Person, yeah the the Michael Bluth. You didn't have a like a Michael Bluth. In well, it's supposed to be show. Kevin. It's supposed to be Kevin, and, and it's not. And Audrey, really? Yeah, but it's not, and right. it doesn't work in that way. You could have characters that live in their own reality, but you need you need somebody. I guess that's another thing about Kevin that frustrated me as a quote unquote straight man was that he was always exacerbated. He was like exhausted by everything. He was just like this again. Yeah, it's satire energy like that is really hard to do well because it's easy to do anger, but anger, like real anger, is not actually funny. No. Um, Like people being mad and frustrated is funny, but real anger is not funny. So if you can't actually be angry at the hijinks that's going on or the way that people are throwing a wrench into your life, then you have to be anxious and frustrated and that energy is just hard to keep up in a way that's interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, it was it was a frustrating experience because there was enough to it that I I feel like I could have identified as something to enjoy, but when you string the whole thing together, it just it didn't it didn't work as a as a show. No. Dude, get Ricky and Patty together, too. I loved when they were together. Dude, I hated when they were together. And then when Patty and Julia were together, I loved when they were together. See, I liked Patty and Julia. That's the... It was... Yeah, I was there like, were these... I was like, get Kevin and Audrey and Brian out of here. I lose interest every time they enter. <laughs> Man. Well, it was an interesting experience in, in Freeform. If anyone wants to watch it, all 10 episodes are on Hulu. I th- I say give it the pilot because honestly, I, I like like the first couple episodes, but. Episodes like five through eight were just really boring. I like yeah. barely could pay attention. I'd catch jokes, but mostly I'd space out. And um, I guess maybe it's because I didn't have any stakes in anything that was going on. Maybe because they were giving Brian more storylines. I don't know. <laughs> but. I think it's not a bad show to just kind of have on. Like yeah. if you're cooking, if you're distracted, like, and you just want something kind of funny that you don't have to pay attention to, I, I say put it on. Sure. Yeah, that's fair. Ian, where can people find us if they want to pay attention to us? Zone out on us. On Twitter at One and Done TV, on Instagram at One and Done TV. Email us, One and Done Pod at gmail.com and let us know why we're wrong about Kevin from work. Uh, let us know why Kevin is a good guy, not just a nice guy. <laughs> let us know why Brian is an interesting funny, well-rounded character who deserves his own spinoff. Um, all that jazz. And as always, uh, Venmo me at Hamill Chin and make yourself your life easier and get yourself a Lodge Pan Scraper. Make sure you watch How To with John Wilson. And until then, Ian, I think we've got some sales reports to to get to. Yeah, these sales reports got to get done for our business, whatever that is. 
It's business time for all. Except the show, because it's over. Brought to you by Lack of Hustle Media.